Welcome, feathered friends. Step inside my walk-in robe and let your imagination run wild. Listening to Busting the Pack. This podcast is proudly sponsored by the WA Magpies Collingwood Supporters Group. Your place to share your personal black and white stories as a pie supporter. And more generally, stories about not giving up or having a passion project in life that might inspire others. We want you to feel a sense of ownership in this platform and welcome any contributions and suggestions by emailing bustingthepack at gmail.com. Each Busting the Pack episode is released via the WA Magpies Facebook and web pages. In this week's episode, I have a chat with a loyal and passionate Collingwood supporter who shares the full name as a current player. WA Magpies sponsored player, Trey Rusco, has some words of wisdom. I take a look at the effects of live crowds on athlete performance and there are entry details for a best story competition called Eyes on the Prize with $50 gift vouchers kindly donated by Jim Services. On with the show. My next loyal and passionate Collingwood supporter has been a member of the Black and White Army since he was 10 years old. He is also a member of the State Emergency Service, a voluntary organisation, and will be presented his 35 Years of Service Medal this week, surrounded by the unmissable bright orange of their uniforms. He also shares the same name with the current Pies player, taken in the mid-year draft last year, and plans to get the number 9 put on his supporter jumper to mark his 70th birthday. Welcome to the podcast, John Noble. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, my pleasure. Thank you. When I heard that John Noble was to debut for the Pies in 2019 against the West Coast Eagles in round 17, I had a little chuckle to myself because I didn't know you were going to play football after getting a knee reconstruction. What was your reaction when you found out that a John Noble would be playing for the mighty Black and Whites and against the Weagles of all teams to announce his arrival? Well, I um, didn't believe it to start with. I had to watch it a couple of times to make sure I heard properly. But yeah, I thought, yeah, this is great. So on the topic of surnames in the AFL, there is also another Noble, the coach of the North Melbourne Kangaroos, David Noble. How do you think he would have been feeling when he was coaching against his son for the first time in round eight this year? Yeah, it would have been interesting at the dinner table, wouldn't it? You have had experience volunteering by coaching at the junior level for Australian rules football. What were some of the challenges you had to overcome in gaining your coaching accreditation? Yeah, well, a long time ago, but I um, found that you had to... uh, Definitely not favour people, especially if you've got your own son in there. <laughs> but um, no, with the young players, it uh, it was a challenge, but uh, I usually enjoy a challenge, so I would have enjoyed it very much. So. so, in terms of getting that accreditation, what was some of the what was some of the things in the curriculum, if you like, 
that you had to address to get that qualification? Well, well to get that, that qualification, you had to be able to put forward that you could uh, coach the whole team without any bias mm. and also know the skills. You didn't have to necessarily be good at them, but yep. at least know the skills so you could train these young players the correct way to uh, for these skills. And it required a, um, a quite a lengthy course at Subiaco over at the time with some very famous football players, Hayden Bunton. Yeah. And um, I can't think of you. used to be a per player, but mm. there was Hayden Bunton and a couple of other top coaches of the time. Okay. So I remember when I got to watch the West Australian Football League team, Swan Districts, train at Bassendine Oval, which is now called Blue Steel Oval. And then the coach, John Todd, and all the players signed a black and white football for me in the change rooms afterwards. How did you make that happen? Well, strangely enough, I just walked up to John Todd and said to him, uh, John, can you sign this football for my son? And uh, can I get some of the players to sign it as well? And he just turned around and says, not a problem. Out came the pen and on went the signatures. It was, uh, it was quite good because he had no problems whatsoever. And it would be a far cry for all the, the hoops that you'd have to jump through these days to get that sort of access to the um, players, especially of AFL clubs, you know, how professional they have become. Mm. Very interesting. Um, so it was John Todd. Do you know what year that was? Oh, I know it was in the 80s sometime. Yeah, it was a fair while ago, but uh, I couldn't... Yeah, it would have been the 80s. Um, I mean, it was, it was a time when you were playing football yourself. Yeah. So. Because I also remember, there's only one autograph I remember on it without actually having a look at it. And I think it was um, Gary Sidebottom. Could have been, yeah. There'd be some kind of relation to um, Steel Sidebottom at all. Oh, it's it's a good possibility that there could be because, um, well, both the side bottoms are good players. So you indoctrinated me at a young age in the way of the black and white army. Did you know that in 1990 and 2010, all three black and white Australian rules football sides, Swan Districts, Collingwood and Port Adelaide in the South Australian Football League, won premierships in the same year? Yeah, yes, I, I did actually. All, well, I remember 1990 in particular, I was, I was coming up to Norseman and I met some Aboriginal uh, people up there who just said that Swan District had just won the flag. They happened to stop on the side of the road, these Aboriginals started talking yeah. and we mentioned Swan Districts and because uh, they were keen Swan District supporters. So I guess for listeners out there, the... Um the Waffle Grand Final is usually, I think it's the, I think it's usually a week before the uh, AFL Grand Final. Yeah, generally a week or so. They yeah. won't put it on the same weekend. No, never. So in reference to the 1990 Premiership, you wore out the taped VHS copy of the Grand Final and I had to buy you a new one for your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from the all-in brawl that erupted at quarter time, and who, who would ever forget Gavin Brown being knocked out cold? So what are your fondest memories of that game that ended with Darren Mullane famously holding up the ball as the final siren glared? What I like about it is 
when Darren Mullane held up that ball because mm. he'd been awarded a free kick, I think, and he and the siren went and held up that ball, but he played a terrific game with a broken thumb. Right. Now, I was broken. I thought it was some broken, maybe a broken finger, but either um, a broken finger or a broken thumb. And I think to take marks and that sort of thing with any broken finger or thumb is going to take some doing. Might have had some good drugs. I'd back say then, so. Yeah, yeah, just it may to, have. to get through. Yeah, that's an interesting um, fact about obviously playing with such dis- discomfort. For me personally, I think it was we were just struggling to get on the board. And who else but Peter Dacos yeah. decides to dribble in a, a ripper to get the uh, to get the ball rolling, so to speak. Yeah. So on your birthday, we have a ritual that I take you to Blue Steel Oval to watch Swan Districts play at home. This year for your 70th, you are getting a special treat and will be burning up the racetrack at Barbagallo Raceway for eight hot laps in a Subaru WRX. Has your doctor given you the green light to partake in this extreme sport, given your recovery from a knee reconstruction? Well, I think it'll be interesting, but... Um, How are you going to sell that one? You're only 70 once? Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> only 70 once. So can you shed any more light on what these uh, hot laps are going to involve? I was just remembering I was talking to you before the interview and you were saying something that the there's eight laps where you're driving, and then the last one is the instructor drives drives the track properly. Yeah, yeah. Well, he drives. A, um, apparently, what happens is you do your eight laps. Yeah. And then when you finish your eight laps, you swap over, and the instructor goes out there for one hot lap to show you how it's done. Right. You know, so and um, they supply everything, so uh, you just basically turn up and uh, put on a suit, put on a helmet, and out you go. And put on your adult diapers. Yeah, probably that too. And <laughs> to uh, get a warm feeling from the hot lap. <laughs> I, I think it would be. I don't know where the heat's going to come from, but but. Um, oh well, I hope you have a great time anyway. I'm sure I will. And they're actually bred from um, from rally driving. Now, you yourself, back in the day, when you were a bit more young and mischievous, <laughs> you also got caught up in the, um, the rally driving bug and you, you did a bit of, like, driving around um, the zigzag in Kalamunda. Yeah, well, I, I went on a few rallies as a, as a support team and I did a few Jim Carners and things like that Okay, in the so, younger days. So yeah. were you... So you were doing the mechanics and that sort of thing for for a team? Basically, yeah. If they come in and they had a problem, we, we'd sort it out and send yeah. it back out. I've, I've also have done a few uh, fast laps around. Uh, used to be Wanneroo Raceway, which is now Barbagallo. Yeah, which is where you'll be returning yeah, yeah, after all those years. And yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm going to be interested and see if I can beat my 1 minute 20 oh, yes. record that I did around there, and that was in a Cortina. <laughs> Cortina. So one minute twenty. How long's the track roughly? Oh, I think it's about two and a half kilometres. Yeah. But I think a V eight supercar does um, laps in about uh, under a minute anyway. Okay. It's usually probably fifty five, fifty six seconds. So you're saying in only maybe like another twenty or twenty five seconds more, your Cortina could get around. Yeah, yeah, but. <laughs> 
But if you add that over 10 laps, I'm going to be way beyond. Well, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> hey, a Cortina, well, that's a... Uh, unless you were driving a hotted one up, up at the time. Well, it had just come out of a repair shop from an accident, actually. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> but it, it was a quite a nimble little car. Um, now, I understand there is a song by Greg Champion, who listeners may know was behind that infectious earworm. That's the thing about football, courtesy of being picked up by Channel 7 for their AFL coverage in the 1990s. And this is something I've learned when I research uh, my interviewees, is it's called the knee reconstruction. And I got a bit more information from my stepmom tonight before the interview because the music sounded familiar, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And she said it's, it's to the music of Eve of Destruction by Barry Maguire. Mm. Um, yeah, that's correct. So yeah, if you get a chance, check out that um, check out that song. So what do you think of the song's subject matter? Does that does that cut a bit close to the bone, so to speak? No, actually, I, I found it quite good actually, because yeah. even though I did have a knee reconstruction, it could be as a result of a broken leg. But yeah. um, no, I, I have a good bit of fun about it. You know, I mean, yeah, you have these injuries. And if you can't have a good laugh about there's something wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I didn't have any problems at all listening to that. Well, that's a very positive uh, viewpoint to have. So before I close the interview, is there anything you would like to say to the audience of Busting the Pack? Maybe something about the role of the, uh, the State Emergency Service for listeners that might not actually know what is involved. And it's not just um, people hanging off roofs, even though they are very important. There's actually a lot goes on coordinating with the different emergency services. Um, so what's your current role as you obviously no longer hanging off roofs and getting called out in the, uh, in the wee hours? Yeah, yeah, well, there's a lot of roles. It also involves searches for lost people. Um, yep. There's also floods. Um, you'll probably see in a lot of these floods over east and even the bushfires, mm. we support the... Um, the fire, fire brigade and the bushfires. We uh, support the police in searches. Um, we've even been on searches where they're looking for drugs and things like that. So yeah. basically the police, the fireys, ambos or ambulance and everyone like that, we all we all have our little roles to pay to um, yeah. make sure we can do some good. So what's one of your fondest experiences from a call that they had no idea. You get very minimal information on your page. Uh, you just pretty much drop everything. You you have to sometimes get time off work if mm. need be for the full time workers that are also um, you volunteering their time. What's what's one of your fondest memories? Being in that um, bright orange <laughs> jumpsuit. <laughs> Being in that bright orange jumpsuit. You, you can't oh. you can't miss. You can't no, say we didn't see you coming. No, definitely not. But no, well, one of the well, one of the most satisfying times would have been Mora, which I think was um, ninety eight or ninety nine. I'm not sure which. But uh, we had yep. the big floods of at Mora mm. after a cyclone went through, and um, and we just went up there and just. A, I thought we'd just driven into the uh, Sydney Harbour. Actually, there was that much water there, yeah. and um, and we just basically we went to our motel room, and we got woken up early in the morning when the motel flooded, and that was it. We had to rescue people from yeah. nursing homes, hospital, 
And so it was an extended tour of duty that you did not realise yeah, the extent of the damage until you actually got into the war zone, if you like. Yeah, well, m most most of the call-outs are similar to that. They, they will tell you that we've got a flood, but they won't tell you anything about it. And uh, No, if they give you too much information, you might, yeah, you might pick and choose what you want to go and, uh, that's what right. you go and star in. Oh, how many... Uh, how many TV crews are going to be at that one? Yeah. yeah, okay. Well, there was a TV crew at Moore, and I happened to be in the, uh, well, I usually say the wrong wrong place at the wrong, wrong time, time. But yeah. it must have been the right place at the right time, and I got filmed um, rescuing a, a young baby that was uh, was on a drip, and uh, wow. so a nurse behind me, she was trying to keep on her feet, I was trying to keep on my feet, yeah. but, but we, we, we rescued the babies, and... Um, and apparently it went worldwide, so... And it's a good example of a priceless experience coming from, uh, you know, doing volunteering work, you know, giving yeah. up your time and energy for something, you know, that you, you feel passionate about, you're giving mm. back to the community. Exactly. And, um, that's very important and um, needs to be uh, reiterated every now and again mm. that there's more to life than just chasing the, the almighty dollar. Um, yeah, well, thanks for having a chat. Dad! <laughs> no, no worries. Thank you. My pleasure. Hey, Trey Roscoe here. You might know me from my mum's words of encouragement when I was selected to play my first game for Collingwood. She also said I should listen to the Busting the Pack podcast by the WA Magpies on their Facebook and web pages. Also, listen to your mum. Go Pies! The effects of live crowds on athlete performance. Due to COVID, many AFL games were played in empty stadiums last year and history repeated itself last weekend when lockdown restrictions saw a return to this compromise for the season to continue. Given this latest rescheduling of fixtures, this got me thinking about what might the effects of live crowds or no crowds be on an athlete's performance. Professional athletes tend to be self-driven and have an insatiable desire to perform, to feed their ego. In short, a performer craves a stage and an audience. For example, to paraphrase many pre- and post-match media interviews with a debutant Australian rules football player, it has always been my dream to run onto the Melbourne cricket ground to the roar of the crowd and play in front of a packed house. It may interest you to know that the average career for an AFL player is less than 50 games. And some don't even make their debut for a range of reasons. Such is the cutthroat nature of the industry. Little wonder this is the pinnacle of their achievements to date. Live crowds have other motivating roles too. They can drag teams over the line when the game is on the line, motivating the players to give those last crucial efforts even though they are physically and mentally exhausted. Or a player faces the crowd after a classy finish on goal and either puts an index finger to the lips as if to be quiet to an opposition crowd or they raise one in the air to gesture that they are number one for that moment in the eyes of their adoring fans. 
And let's not forget the perceived home ground advantage, with umpires subconsciously favouring the home team. Perhaps due to the pressure of a hostile crowd through sheer weight of numbers, making their unilateral decision known in full voice at the officials. Ball! Now, let's take this motivating force away, and the only positive I can think of from this change in dynamics is being able to hear the frantic instructions barked between players as an opportunity to further appreciate the tactics of a game. The main two that come to mind from my amateur football days at suburban grounds were HOLD as in don't play on or you'll get tackled and YOU'RE HOT which translated to get rid of the ball now or you're going to get tackled. However the negative, in my opinion, has been the introducing of canned crowd noise recordings by Channel 7 to fill the void of an actual live crowd. With no instant feedback loop for the armchair TV viewing experience, symbolised by the ebbing and flowing of the contest, it has been compounded by the energy of the crowd not matching the state of play in real time. The audio and the visual are out of sync, and consequently this idea has been an abject failure. I would be interested to know what listeners think the effects have been on clubs' performances, who are now playing in empty stadiums, or even having to switch between live crowds from one week to the next. The most recent being the draw last round between top-of-the-table Melbourne Demons and cellar dwellers, the Hawthorne Hawks. Email bustingthepack at gmail.com Are you having trouble getting that sparkle back into your pool? Jim's Pool Care can help out with any pool problem. With just one call, Jim's Pool Care mobile pool shops will respond to any pool equipment problems. We can repair or replace all leading brands of pool equipment, such as pumps, chlorinators or automatic pool cleaners. So if you're thinking pools, think Jim's. Call 131546 or Google Jim's Pool Care and book online. Eyes on the prize. Thanks to Jim's services, they are kindly donating prizes of $50 gift vouchers for a best story competition. We want to hear your fondest memory as a passionate fan. Be creative, engaging, interesting, and keep your entry to 200 words or less. So get those thinking caps on and email bustingthepack at gmail.com In next week's episode I'll be having a chat to a member of a famous family linked to the 1927 to 1930 Collingwood four in a row premiership dynasty known as the machine era Well until next week feathered friends Always remember, passion, persistence, perspective.
Thanks for listening. This is Dr. J signing off.